The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Let's do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us on our end of the week broadcast. You've got questions. We've got answers. Any question of any kind that relates in any way to any topic that ever comes up here on the line of fire, anything I write about, talk about, anything associated with our ministry, anything a guest has talked about, that wide a range of issues. Give us a call, 866-348-7884. I want to answer a question that came in at the end of the show yesterday. I promised I'd do it if possible. That We had three problems with answering the question. One, we ran out of time. Two, I had a hard time hearing the caller. Three, when I did look up the verse that I thought he was asking me about, I looked it up in Hebrew, and the Hebrew versification in Ezekiel 21 is different than the English versification because of which I was staring at the verse and couldn't make anything out of the question, which I had a hard time hearing. However, afterwards, we were able to sort it out. The question was sent to me by our team. I looked up the verse in our English Bible. So it's Ezekiel 21, 27. And hopefully the brother who asked yesterday is still listening today. A ruin, a ruin. I will make it a ruin. The crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. To him I will give it. Does this refer to, and the question was, who is the him to whom the crown would be given? It's actually a great question and one on which commentators are divided. It seems to be hearkening back to Genesis 49.10, which is a promise of the Messianic ruler coming through the line of Judah. It seems to hearken back to that and saying, Jerusalem is going to be ruined. It's going to be absolutely ruined now. However, in the future, I will restore the glory and give the crown to the one to whom it belongs, namely the Messiah. That's one way the text is read. And at first glance, when you just look at it by itself, you think that in the larger context, other commentators would point out it is such a section of judgment that it's actually taking the, the, the sound of the promise and turning it upside down. No, the one that's going to get the ruling authority is not the Messiah, but Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who's going to destroy the city. So is it the Messiah in the end who will bring back a crown of glory or Nebuchadnezzar in the short term who will bring destruction. Uh, There is a scholarly debate, and because I have not really plumbed the depths of the debate on this verse, I'm not sure. There's something in me that still jumps when I see it, that it is a long-term messianic prophecy. But that's the debate, and that's why the question was asked. All right, with that, we go to the phones. Let's go over to Carrie in South Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Carrie, are you there? Hello? Yeah, you're oh, on yes, the air. Yes, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yes, uh, the first question, I want to be very quick about it, is um, I wanted to know why there would be sacrifices in the millennial kingdom if uh, they find the ultimate sacrifices. Um, that's the first question. Yes, so it is a standard question that I and many others have asked for decades. In other words, it's it's a right question to ask. If there is a thousand-year kingdom on the earth, as many of us believe, so we are premillennial, Jesus comes before the millennial kingdom, he returns and sets up a thousand-year kingdom of, of peace and justice on the earth, where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the seas, etc. And if there will be a physical temple there, which the Bible does seem to speak about the house of the Lord in Isaiah 2, the vision of the temple in Ezekiel 40 through 48 and other passages. If there's going to be a physical temple there, and if they're going to be physical sacrifices, doesn't that completely undermine the whole message of the cross? Doesn't that undermine the idea that Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system and there are no more sacrifices to offer? Doesn't that even confirm traditional Jewish interpretation that denies our view of messianic prophecy and denies the cross? And they would say, look, that's why there are going to be sacrifices in the future. So, number one, we have to be careful 
not to try to figure out too many things that are in the future. In other words, many times as you get closer to the thing or once you're in the thing, it makes more sense than from our vantage point. But if there will be a literal temple, which I do expect, and if there will be literal sacrifices, which the text seems to indicate, the answer would be either there are further memorials that point back to the cross, just like our taking communion does. So the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the cross and the sacrifices in the millennial kingdom will point back to the cross. So the first pointed ahead, the latter will point backwards. That's one possible answer. The other is that the sacrifices are primarily for ritual cleansing and not for forgiveness of sins like the cross would bring. One of my colleagues, Dr. Richard Averbeck, a longtime professor of Old Testament Semitic languages at Trinity Evangelical School and one of the leading evangelical authorities on sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, uh, he believes that the Old Testament sacrifices, as Hebrews tells us, never could really take away sin, that their primary purpose was ritual cleansing and that the ultimate forgiveness always came through the cross so that you'll have sacrifices in the millennial kingdom, but they're not in competition with the cross. They're a separate category. And that's why Hebrews 9 says the blood of bulls and goats could never actually take away sin. So either the sacrifices will be looking back to the cross or the sacrifices are for ritual cleansing and outward atonement as, to, as opposed to reconciliation with God, which only comes through the cross. Okay. Uh, my second question is about the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And I want to be very careful is, um, you know, I have some issues where, you know, where Nicodemus didn't have some questions and Peter and everybody had some problems to whether, like, I need clarification. How can one be born again? How is that possible? Um, but I didn't see Jesus ever saying, well, you're not saved. You don't know anything. Um, but again, is if someone doesn't believe in the Trinity, or at least, let's put it this way, have a hard time understanding mm -hmm. the Trinity. Because, for example, one can be in another place, and he can also be in another place different people. But my problem is having a hard time understanding rather than saying, well, it's not that I don't believe in it. It's mm -hmm. I, I have a hard time. How can this possibly be? Does this mean that my salvation, I'm not saved according to God, because I really believe in Jesus and I, I, I believe he died for me. And mm -hmm. I also believe in God, but I have a hard time yeah. understanding the Trinity view. Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question because you're not alone in wondering about this as well. Be assured that God is not expecting perfect doctrinal understanding from us on every single point in order for us to be saved. You know, the last time I prayed for greater insight in terms of the relationship between father, son, and spirit, that God would even deepen my understanding of his triune nature. You know, the last time I prayed about that this past weekend, in other words, I can teach clearly God's triunity and his complex unity and how there's one God and he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And I can explain the relationship of the, the Father being the source of all things and the Creator and the Son being the one who makes him known and the Spirit carrying out the work on the earth. And I understand those things, but there's so much profound mystery to who God is, to his eternal nature, that, that I was asking God for even more insight than I've had in the past. So... You're not the first one to say, I believe, but I don't understand. If you denied the Lordship of Jesus, if you said there are many gods and not one God, if, if you said, I believe Jesus was just a good man who set an example, but he wasn't the son of God, those would be heretical views. Those would be views that would have you outside the kingdom. Uh, if you say there's only the son and there's no father, there's no spirit, well, then you're denying the very existence of, of the fullness of God. But if you say, I, yeah, I see clearly Father, Son, Spirit in the Bible. I see that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but God is why I, I don't get how that works. That's perfectly fine. God is a, above and beyond our understanding. And we all have limited revelation in, in terms of how God's eternal nature works itself out and how we relate to him. So I would just continue to ask God for insight and understanding. That's one. And two, I would lean into what I do know. In other words, can you affirm 
yeah, according to the Bible, I see that the Son is eternal, that he was not created. I believe that. I see that the Father is the source of all things. I see the Spirit is called the eternal Spirit also. So I affirm these things. I just don't know how they work together. Know what you affirm, lean into that, and ask God for further insight. And I believe over time we continue to get more insight until we see him face to face. But be at peace. Your salvation is not at okay. risk under a, a lack of full understanding of God's full nature. So thank you for the call. All right, no problem. Talk to you soon. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Every so often on a Friday, I get to make this fun announcement that we have some phone lines open because a lot of times the phone lines are filled from beginning to end and it's hard to get through. So we've got some phone lines open today for whatever reason and we'll be glad to take your calls. 866-348-7884. Let us go to, is it, um, oh, I'm not sure the pronunciation name. Mikal in Fayetteville? Oh, Mackay? Mackay. Okay, got it. Yeah, there's an I there. I just didn't see it. Mackay, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, um, thanks. I had a couple questions. I, I might have forgot the second one, but the first one was, does God hate people? Uh, and if he does, is it a hate-love relationship? Or is mm. it that he just hates them in the act or just the act because, like, for example, in Psalms 11, 5, it says, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and yep. the one who loves violence. So I was just confused because there's, there's one extreme where God loves everyone, and then there's another extreme where some people are like, no, God hates the sinner. So yep. I don't know where, where I should land here. All right. Perfect, perfect question to ask and a very valid one. And I, I so appreciate these questions. They're so relevant. And there are natural questions to ask studying the scripture. So stay right there. I've got a break coming up in a minute. And I, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start answering the question. We're going to have to finish on the other side of the break. There's no question that in the Old Testament, there are verses that talk about God hating people, God hating the wicked, God hating sinners, not just hating what they do, right? We hate the sin. We love the sinner. But verses actually speaking about God hating sinners. Then there are other verses, even in the Old Testament, that speak of God's compassion being over all his works. And I'm quite sure that the most natural reading of John 3.16 is that God loves the whole world, every human being on the planet, not just the elect, which is why he sends his son. So does he love and hate at the same time? Is it hate in a different way? How should we understand it? How should we live it out? Great question, and we'll take it up on the other side of the break. Let's hear what Trivita customers are saying. Dr. Brown, I can't wait to tell you that those supplements are absolutely amazing. My strength has gone up at least 15 pounds in everything I do. I mean, I can curl, like I'll usually do curls with arms. You know, I'll do 40 to 45. I was doing 60 pound curls 10 times in each arm. And then yesterday uh, I did a back workout and I was doing weight that I haven't done since my 20s. Um, and I usually ride my bike to the gym. It's about a 10, 12 minute bike ride. And then on the way back, after I've done my weight training, you know, I ride back, but I'm, I'm huffing and puffing. And I rode my bike there and back, and I had so much energy. I'm telling you, the combination of the nitric oxide with the uh, MyoHealth is just amazing. I'm just, I can't believe how much strength I have right now. I mean, I'm just really excited about it. Trivita wants you to experience wellness too. Do something good for your heart and cardiovascular system. Learn how to get 25% off Nitric Oxide Plus. Call 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. 
Use promo code BROWN25 in the shopping cart to receive 25% off your first order, and Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Call 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. Use promo code BROWN25 in the shopping cart. Get 25% off Nitric Oxide Plus. Call 800-811-9628. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. 866-34-TRUTH, the number to call. Yeah, I, I do have... Another wellness update, but I'll, I'll save it for a little later so I can go straight back to the phones. So, um, Mihai, the um, answer to your question, as I understand it, is that, and tell you what, you'll be able to hear me, but you won't be able to talk. We've got a lot of um, static in the background, so you'll be able to hear me, but you won't be able to respond right now. So, I do believe that there are wicked people on the earth, sinners, and many of us, that's who we were before we knew the Lord. And God hates that person in the sense of what they are doing, what they have become, who they are, that is, that is ultimately hateful to God. So in the same way, we could look at Adolf Hitler and say, I hate that man, meaning I hate who he is. I hate what he's done. I hate the destruction that he's brought, the pain that he's caused, etc. At the same time, God can look at that sinner and say, I care for you enough. I love you enough that I'm going to send my son to die for you. Well, while we were yet powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans 5. He died for ungodly sinners. Ephesians 2 and Colossians 1 say that we were alienated. In our mind. We were, were wicked wicked in our minds and alienated from God. And by nature, according to Ephesians 2, objects of wrath, deserving God's wrath. So there is a sense of God fundamentally hating that human being in the sense of absolutely abhorring who they are and what they do. And what they do is a reflection of who they are. On the flip side, he has a deep and intense love for them to know him to honor him, to be forgiven of their sins, and to be part of his family forever. There is a street preacher, a fearless street preacher, who will get right on the street, and a street preacher obviously, he's right on the street, and he'll tell somebody, God hates you, God hates you. You're openly flaunting in this and openly flaunting in this, God hates you, but he sent Jesus to die for you so you can be saved. And he said, I've seen people radically born again hearing that message. I would not, so, and I understand the verses he's using to back it up. I would not preach it that same way, although you could say, hey, some of the greatest preachers in church history have preached it that way. I, I would speak about how our deeds are ugly in his sight, how who we are is ugly in his sight, how, how the, the things that we are celebrating are so abhorrent to him, and, how, how, and we will face certain judgment for that if we do not repent, and it will be horrible. But he loves us so much, he sent his son. So, there is, on the one hand, a message about God's love that is way too soft, that, that does not give a, an indication of the depth to which he hates sin and of the destructive nature of sin and of the fact that we cannot choose sin and the Savior at the same time. We must turn to him and ask for forgiveness from sins and freedom from sin. On the other hand, there is a message that sometimes can emphasize God's utter abhorrence with sinners to the point that there's no love, there's no brokenness in our message, there's, there's very little message of grace. So I would not overtly say God hates you. I would say God hates what you're doing. God hates the lifestyle you're living. God, God hates the choices that you're making. And they are destructive to you and they are ugly in his sight. And you'll face him as judge and be condemned for it. But his love for you was so intense that he didn't leave you there. He sent his son to die. That's how I would preach it and put those things together. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Benjamin in Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Um, I'm a Christian and a fan of yours. And um, I know you uh, 
have studied a lot about Jewish history and um, defended penal substitution. I wanted to get your thoughts on how um, Jesus' death on the cross can save us and atone for our sins. If the Bible says, he who um, justifies the wicked and who condemns the righteous, both are an abomination to the Lord. Okay, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not following your question. Are you saying that, let's, let's see if I am following it, that because God condemned Jesus for what we did, that therefore God is, is condemning the righteous and justifying the wicked? Right, because by Jesus being condemned, we, we sing songs about Jesus being condemned okay. and us being justified. And we know that to be true, but I'm just wondering how yeah. that works. So, uh, so Proverbs, is, yeah, Proverbs is talking about legally. In other words, in a court, if someone is, is righteous and you sentence them to death or you put them in prison, or if someone is wicked and guilty and you acquit them, that's, that's detestable in God's sight. So God doesn't do that. He, he doesn't uh, acquit the, the guilty and punish the guiltless. In fact, when he reveals himself to Moses, he says quite the opposite. He's merciful and long-suffering, but will visit the sins of those who oppose him and those who hate him to their face. So what happens here is Jesus willingly says to the Father, I will take the place of these wicked people. I, I will lay down my life willfully. In Jewish thought, it's the atoning power of the death of the righteous, that because he is perfect, and let's say he, his his credit score is 10 trillion, then he can cover all of our bad credit. He can pay the debt that we couldn't pay. And if we will turn to God, asking for mercy, confessing our guilt, recognizing our wickedness, and turn to God asking for mercy, he will have mercy. He will forgive. He will cleanse. And the price has been paid. So it's not like God saying, okay, I'm just going to take a righteous person and smite them for what a wicked person does, and then look the other way at that person's wickedness. No, here's someone saying, I, I will lay down my life. I will be the ransom. I, I will pay out of the infinite goodness in my life. I will pay for all of their badness. And then those who say, God, I don't want to live a bad life. I don't want to be wicked. I don't want to sin against you. I receive your, your mercy and grace. Forgive me. Then God has now every right to justify so it's really very unrelated. I appreciate the question for sure, but it's unrelated to a legal procedure of a corrupt judge who would acquit the guilty and condemn the, the wicked. It's, it's really very different. So it's, it's an interesting question, but we're really kind of comparing apples with oranges. Thank you. That answered you, my question. Great. You are, you are very welcome, and I appreciate the question. Uh, let's look at the clock. Okay, tell you what. Uh, I've got a minute and a half before the next break. So I'll get back to your questions right on the other side of the break. Let's see where we're going. We're going to Joe in Ohio. We're going to Jonathan in Charlotte, Jennifer in Fort Worth, where I am right now, and someone else somewhere. Don't know where they are yet. Okay. Uh, so one thing I've noticed, and you'll hear an ad for this later in the show with our sponsor, Trivita. One thing I've noticed consistently now is my recovery time after workouts is amazing. I don't, I don't mean immediately after. I, I, I mean, you normally, if you do a heavy workout, lifting and things, you're, you're sore the next day. I'm not getting sore. It's, it's really, really interesting. And I attribute it to no Pelea. Also, I was having uh, some arthritic pain in some of my toes. I've been waiting to say this, been having some arthritic pain in some of my toes for a few months now. And it's, it's just about gone away. And that's one of the things that I was expecting with, with Nopalea that deals with chronic inflammation and, and just helps with general uh, movement and things like that. So be sure to check it out. If you want to stand with our ministry and say, Dr. Brown, we'd love to support your ministry, here's a great way to do it. Go to Trivita.com, use the code BROWN25. Not only do you get a 25% discount, but 100% of your first order goes to help us get the line of fire on another station around America and to make an impact for his friends. The time is now. Or you can call 800-771-5584. Get a free consultation. Say, hey, I heard Dr. Brown talking about some of these things. I'm not sure. Can you tell him what you're interested in, what your needs are? Healthy, don't, these are not substitutes for healthy eating. No, no shortcuts, but these will benefit your life in so many other ways. So 800 
800-771-5584. Say, Dr. Brown sent you. 800-771-5584. And we'll, we'll do two good things at once. We'll get some good healthy supplements in your body, and you'll help us get this message out across the nation to get the Church of America healthy. We'll be right back. Hey friends, Michael Brown here. You know, it seems the whole country now is talking about revival. Could it be that a fresh wave of revival is here? Friends, I've said for decades, without a fresh wave of revival in the church and awakening in society, it's it's over for America as we know it. And that's why I wrote the book, Revival or We Die, A Great Awakening is our only hope. Friends, when you read this book, it won't just give you a vision of what revival can do in society, in the church, but in your own heart, in your own life. It'll light a fresh fire in you. It'll ignite something in you, a hunger, a desire, a vision of what God can do through a yielded life. Revival or we die. Even have a whole chapter where I share intimate, open prayers I've prayed to God, even in recent years, to ignite afresh a first love in me. I believe as you read it, something will be ignited within you as well. But you know, whenever revival comes, there's controversy. And that's why I wrote the Revival Answer book. I wrote it in the midst of the Brownsboro Revival, answering the many honest questions. Is there too much emotion? What about shaking? What about falling? What about unusual things that happen in revival? And, and can we really expect revival in the last days? Or will things only get worse? When you order this hardcover edition of Revival or We Die, I want to give you this book, the Revival Answer Book, 300-page book. I want to give it to you absolutely free. So here's the number to call, 1-800-538-5275. That's one 800 538 5275 or go to org. just click on shop and when you do you'll see the special offer the hardcover edition of revival or we die a great awakening is our only hope along with the revival answer book is our free gift to you when you order one more time the number to call 1-800-538-5275 the time for revival is now It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. If you download my app, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries, if you download the app on Android, Apple, Google, wherever your, your platform you're on, you will find tons of answers to questions there. There's a search button on there. You just scroll down and search, and you'll get immediate access to many videos that we have, line of fire broadcasts that we have, articles that we've written. So be sure to take advantage of that. You can also listen to the show wherever you are, just on your cell phone with the app, and then you can scroll through, check out our video series, Consider This, or our Real Messiah Jewish Outreach website, all at the app. So uh, folks ask me questions all the time. I go, here, here's the answer right there. So by all means, call with your questions. Absolutely, we get to talk them through here. But use the resource. I can be with you 24-7 answering your questions. Ask Director Brown Ministries app. Okay, with that, we go to, let's see, Joe in Ohio. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brown. Uh, it's quite obvious that you have uh, paid uh, price in your studies uh, and uh, especially in your Jewish studies and uh, Messianic uh, answers. It's, it's, it's very refreshing to hear <clears throat> from an individual like yourself that uh, has such knowledge and has applied yourself as you have in your life. It's a, it, God bless you. Well, thank you. That's, that's very kind. I appreciate that. Uh, now, uh, my concern is uh, the, well, I, I would call it tradition, where uh, it seems that the Messianic leaders in particular, which I hate to see, don't quite recognize the simplicity of the Godhead. 
in the most simplistic form, the definition of a person is a human being. But, you know, in the dictionary, that's everyone knows that. Yet, not only the Gentile nations, of course, forever, ever since the Nicene Council, but uh, also the Messianic leaders try to insist that there's three people within the Godhead. And that is just preposterous. The well, only it, human being that ever represented Godhead is Jesus. Yes. Yeah, so, Am I right or wrong? Yes. Yeah, so, so to jump in, Joe, yeah, it, the issue is the definition of person. Uh, when, when, when Christian theologians will speak of one, one God and three persons, it's person in a philosophical sense, in a Greek philosophical sense, which is the background for some of the creeds, not in a human being sense. Uh, so when you look up person in terms of the way we normally use the term, you're absolutely right, human being. When people speak of three persons, one God, they don't mean person in that sense. And that's why I, I personally don't use those terms because of potential misunderstanding. You say, well, how do you refer to Father, Son, and Spirit? It's not three gods and one God. It's three. I just speak of there's one God complex in his unity, and he is Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and Father, Son, Spirit, each distinct, and yet absolutely one in every respect. So uh, using the term persons, especially just in our contemporary English, can be misleading and confusing. So the only member of the Godhead, if you refer in that sense, who took on human flesh is the Son. The Son took on human flesh and became a human being, fully God and fully man, whereas the Father and the Spirit never did that. So in that respect, what you're saying is, is correct, of course, but when the creeds and others will speak of three persons, they're speaking of three members, three divine members of the one Godhead. But Joe, thank you. Thank you for the question and the kind words. I do appreciate it. Uh, let us go over to um, Jennifer in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Thank you so much for having me on the air. I, uh, through a mutual friend at Christ for the Nation, sent you a copy of my gender identity Bible study. Uh, that okay, I was I wondering wrote. if you were that Jennifer. All right. <laughs> yes, I just happened to see you on today, and I was wondering if I could ask you. Yes. Uh, I have a passion for the topic of gender identity, because, and I know you do too, because I'm seeing so many young women turn against their gender and choose to be non-binary and all of the other things. And I have a calling to remind women who they are created to be and mm. call the daughters of God back to their identity in Christ. And so um, through a deeply personal journey, I went on a deep dive into studying the word woman and male and female in, in the Word of God, and Elohim, mm -hmm. and Yahweh, and uh, Yeshua, and all of these uh, these words. And I knew that with God's Word, it is endlessly deep. And you can keep digging and keep digging. So when I discovered the meaning of the Hebrew alphabet, I saw who I was as a woman and as a female, and even in just a more profound sense. I saw the 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 womb in my name i saw the the hey the letter that that shows that is twice in the name yahweh that means the hold um and i saw that that women had a had an incredible place even inside of his name yahweh the male and the female represented in unity however your your message that you sent me from YouTube that says how ridiculous it all is didn't line up with what the Holy Spirit showed me. And I don't, I don't know what to do about that. Mm. How could it be that God's, God's name means, Yahweh spells, behold the hand that drove the nail. Behold the hand. Ah, behold so Jennifer, all right. So I appreciate you calling and having this discussion in this setting, okay? So I... Uh, I want to be as candid as I can, 
but as respectful as I can. Fair enough? Yes, sir. Yes. Who said that that's what the name Yahweh means? People read it in. In other words, if it, there's no way under the sun that anyone would come up with those things unless it was read in. Who said that it, it means that the one letter means behold? Where did we get that from? These are people who don't know Hebrew reading things in. So what they've read in is beautiful. So God can often get, get us somewhere and give us revelation in a beautiful way, even though there are some mistakes along the way. You can read a mistranslation of a verse, but it really conveys the truth from elsewhere in the Bible. So you get something good, but the way you got it was, was, was read in. Because I could, I could give people, um, say, these alleged pictographic meanings of, of the Hebrew letters, right? I, I, could, I could say right here, here are the, uh, the alleged meanings. And in many cases, we don't know what the letter originally stood for. It's speculation. I'm talking about the top Hebrew and Semitic scholars in the world. We don't know what every letter originally stood for. But let's just say, okay, we agree on certain terms. If, if I just threw those out to you and we took a thousand random words in the Bible and sat a thousand different people down in different rooms, everyone would come up with something different. So this is something that people sure. popularized and read in, but it's, it's not actually there. We found something that we liked and now we, we, we put something on it. But just sitting in the pictographs, you would not get the idea, you know, behold, the nail in the hands. You, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't come up with that. It's, and, and, and then what if I show you like 300 words where it, it has no meaning whatsoever or other divine names or attributes where it has no meaning? So what we've done, look, I've had people show me that the first word in Genesis, Bereshit, has the entire gospel preached in it. It's just reading things in that aren't there. So I would say that, that the Holy Spirit can bring us on a journey and teach us and reveal things to us that are beautiful and wonderful, even if some of the sources and methods along the way are not that accurate. Now, now, you may differ. You may say, hey, look, I know you've got your scholarship and all this, but I know what the Lord told me, and I'm, I'm not going to disrespect you for that. You know, I, I'm thrilled you're doing what you're doing. When I heard about your ministry, my heart leapt because I thought this is so necessary, and you've got an audience, especially with these young ladies, and you can convey things to them I could never convey. So I'm, I'm thrilled with that, and whatever good you can bring, I'm, I'm cheering you on. Uh, it's just the, the methodology of leaning into the, alleged original pictographic meanings as if they still adhere in the text. That's, that's the problem. So are you saying like the letter Aleph is, um, it doesn't mean strength. I mean, it's the first letter of so many of God's names. No, it just, it just, okay. First realize that these were the same. El was the name of the chief Canaanite deity. Right? It just meant God. It's this generic word that just means God. And Elohim mm -hmm. is an is a intensive plural for Eloah. These, this was, Yahweh is a distinct name, okay? But Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet that is simply the first letter of the alphabet. The English, the English letter A that we have today that comes in our Roman alphabet, uh, that goes back to Greek alpha, which goes back to Hebrew Aleph. So our, our letter A goes back to the same source. What does A mean? A is just the first letter of the alphabet. So Aleph was originally a word that just meant ox. It didn't mean strength. It was just a picture of an ox head, right? So ox could be any of a thousand different potential meanings. Um, and it originally, it just stood for an ox, a particular animal. And then once it became an actual uh, uh, letter in the alphabet, then it's just, it's the opening letter. It's a, it's a so-called glottal stop. So it doesn't have a sound to it, but it's just the opening letter of the alphabet. Bait originally was a stood for a picture of a house, but in the alphabet it just stands for B for B. That's why you can reduce thousands of pictographs to 22 letters, because with those letters you could spell words, but those letters no longer have the pictographic meaning. That's why the the shape of the letter changes over the years. So you can't even recognize what the original so, was. So the letter, wait, just include, okay. Yeah. I know the shape of the letter changes, but if it originally had meaning, Dr. Brown, if it originally had meaning, then if you look at the letters in the word female, it shows that, that we would continue the cycle of life through the shedding of the water and the blood. 
No, and if you look at the the original uh, letters of the word male, the, it, no, the, it, it but shows who, who the, told the, you that? Oh, okay, so, so let me let me turn uh, it back to something. Because I studied again. each letter by a Hebrew by a Hebrew scholar, Hebrew oh, oh. messianic scholar. All right, hey, hang on. Let's let's find out who the messianic scholar was. This is an important conversation. So let's let's stay with this. We'll be right back. Chronic inflammation is the greatest health threat to humanity. Infections, injuries, toxins, poor diet, and chronic stress can attack your immune system and lead to chronic inflammation. But now there's a solution you can fight this dangerous silent killer with, Nopalea. Made from the superfruit of the Nepal cactus, containing a unique group of bioflavonoids clinically shown to reduce chronic inflammation. In a random double-blind placebo-controlled study, it showed a reduction of elevated at-risk C-reactive protein levels, resulting in an improvement in range of motion in the back, neck, and joints, and an overall improvement in the quality of life. Nopalea has helped thousands of people by lowering levels of chronic inflammation. So call now, 800-811-9628, or go to Trivita.com. Use the promo code BROWN25 for 25% off your first order, and Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Or call 800-811-9628. Let's hear what customers are saying. A couple of months ago, I discovered Nopalea, and I started taking it every day like they suggested, and I started to have more movement and not feel the same stiffness. It, it keeps me going. I don't have to take days off anymore. I don't have to wear the brace around my back. I love Nopalea because I can go out and run with a girl that's half my age and still stay stride for stride with her, and my joints and my knees aren't bothering. Is fantastic. Call now, 800-811-9628 or go to Trivita.com. Use the promo code BROWN25 for 25% off your first order or call 800-811-9628. That's 800-811-9628. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, let's uh, let's get back to our discussion here. So, so Jennifer, before you you mentioned the Hebrew scholar, the Messianic scholar that you learned this from. What I want to point out is, if you're using pictographs, right, you need thousands and thousands of pictures to convey things. So, let's say I've got hand that means one thing, or finger that means another thing, or eye that means one thing. And so, if I'm going to write something out in a sentence, I need thousands of different pictures to convey the meaning. And even then, it's a little hard to understand. Once I reduce the thousands down to 22, it's impossible to communicate with 22 symbols. So when anyone in the ancient Hebrew world saw the letter Beit, they didn't think of a house, they thought of B, because it was now part of an alphabet. And that's why the, the, the way it was written could change so dramatically, because everyone that saw it knew it meant B, not, not house or the what house means or what house symbolizes, when they'd see an olive, they knew it didn't mean ox. They may not have even heard of it. It's just the first letter of, of the alphabet. So it, once you reduce things to 22, I guarantee you, let, we take 22 symbols, okay? So we take a, an eye, a nose, a car, a, a, a dog, a cat, whatever, an airplane. You try to communicate using 22 symbols, it's completely impossible. That's the whole genius of reducing things to an alphabet, where now the, the, something that, let's say, used to stand for fist now just means the letter F, or something that used to stand for nose just means the letter N. And that's the only meaning that it has, and that's what God's conveying in, in Scripture. But in any case, how okay, do... Okay, but sir, but yeah, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> it, okay, man, man, when you look at the difference between the name man and the name woman... They have three letters each, right? Two of the letters, when put together, mean fire. And one letter in the man is hand. And one letter in the word woman is breath. Now, what woman do you know 
does not use her breath or her voice to be a fire-breathing dragon or to bring revelation. And what, and what man, man, do, what do, man you know? do you know that, oh, okay, so, but here's the thing, you the can read anything. man you know that cannot use his hands to destroy. It's so be- it's a beautiful picture, and, 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 and in many of the Hebrew scholars have taught this. Uh, t- tell me one Hebrew scholar. The centuries about tell me the one marriage Hebrew... relationship. Oh, okay, I understand, you have to understand rabbinic midrash, that the rabbis get homiletical meanings out of everything, okay? They're not trying to say this is what the text actually says. I mean, I know rabbinic literature. They get homiletical meanings, preaching meanings out of all kinds of obscure things. And it's not meant to be taken literal way. It's, it's homiletic. But please tell me the name of, of uh, I've yet to meet a Hebrew scholar on the planet. And this, is, this is my field who teaches the paleo meanings of the Hebrew. That is the one fellow I knew who did it, apologized, said that he was in error. Okay. Some years ago and didn't want to be associated with, with me even talking about it. So I wouldn't mention his name. But who is this, the, the Hebrew scholar that told you the meanings of these, these Hebrew letters? So the best book that I have read about it, about the Hebrew alphabet, and it's beautiful, is, I mean, truly beautiful, I must say. Um, and, and it's called In His Words by L. Grant Luton, and it's Messianic Insights into the Hebrew Alphabet. He goes into the numerology, or the numbers behind the, each letter as well. Right, so, so here's, okay, you, so here's what you have to understand. It, it's all whatever you want to read into it. That's the whole thing. We don't know the original meaning of all the letters. That's a fact, okay? And I, I, I know this field. Just like I, I can't tell you where you spoke last month because I'm not you and I wasn't there. Right. And if you say you were there and I said, no, no, I have a feeling you weren't. You just kind of smile at me. It's like, hey, I was there. So I'm telling you, we do not know the original meaning of every Hebrew letter when it was a pictograph. That's that's the first thing. It's speculation on a number of them. The second thing is, okay, if okay, Aleph does not mean strength. It's an ox. All right. So unless you're saying that God is part ox, then you can't start reading these meanings in to say, well, it means strength. Couldn't. it could Couldn't mean they anything. have said that an ox is straw? Okay. Well, and an, o- and an it, ox, it, and an ox leaves a lot of refuse when it, go, when, it, when it defecates. It leaves a lot of refuse. And an ox has a yoke on it. Does God have a yoke? In other words, you, you, it, it doesn't mean strength. This is something someone read into it to come up with a nice homiletical meaning. And, and when it comes to numerology and, and gematria, so you find that each letter has a numerical value, you can make anything mean anything. Do you want, you want me to show you all the studies by, by people who oppose Jesus that use numerology to prove that he's a false prophet according to the Hebrew Bible? You could make it read whatever you want. I'm saying this is literally done. I, I know rabbis who've done this to say that based on numerology in the Hebrew Bible, we, can, we have sentences that prove that Jesus was a false prophet and he wasn't the Messiah because you can make anything mean anything. So that's... That's the problem with it. And we just, if, so if, if we say, okay, the first word, the first letter in Genesis is, 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 is house. Then you have house, then the next is head, then the next is, is ox. So you have house, head, ox. What's that got to do with anything? Nothing. Unless you're going to try to spiritualize everything and put different meanings on it. And then it's whatever you find you can put in there. So I'm, I'm just being candid. Well, the, the, book by, the book in his words, the Messianic Insights into the Hebrew alphabet doesn't use the pictograph. He uses the modern Hebrew. And, and, and it, when you break down the names of God, uh, it shows you a deeper understanding of who he is. But I'm sad to hear that because the truth is when I studied our gender and looked at the Hebrew the, the original um, look deeper under the name man and woman and male and female. I learned it actually transformed my my marriage. It transformed my view of what women are and what men are and who God created us to be in our gender. So um, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to take it back to the Lord and understand whether or not I have to like, I, I want to respect and completely trust your scholarship. At the same time, when I studied the name Yahweh, the Holy Spirit filled my house in a way that I had never experienced in my life. 
And I've been studying the Bible for 25 years on my own, writing Bible yeah. study, and he moved. Couldn't it be? Right. It so, so look, he, I, I, I also know was. people that insist that his name is to be pronounced a certain way. And when they began pronouncing it a certain way, that God worked miracles in their life or ministry or business, they were able to give money to the gospel and all this. And they say, it's since I started using that particular name. And then I've heard other people with the exact opposite story when they started using a different name that they, they had all these miraculous things happen. All I can say is God's amazingly gracious and, and God understands that none of us have perfect knowledge. None of us have perfect information. And like I said, you can read a, a, a bad translation. Translators got something wrong, or now we have better manuscript evidence, but it's a glorious truth that is taught elsewhere in the Bible and, and a wrong translation can get us there. So I, I would never for a split second think to deny that God did these things. I would not for a split second question your relationship with him or all the good things that you're sharing. But God in his graciousness could still lead us on a journey to learn certain things about ourselves or about him, even if all the sources are, are not the best. If, if the end result of what we believe is ultimately biblically true and edifying, well, praise God, even if the journey to get there was a little different. So in other words, if you say, hey, I've got tremendous insight about f being female and being male more than I ever had before, Wonderful. Let those yeah. insights remain, even if some of the journey getting there was a little suspect. So I'm, I, I don't know. Please hear me. I'm, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I, because for all of us, it happens in one way or another in life that we end up in a good place, but the way we got there may have been a little circuitous. And don't feel beholden that you have to believe me just because I have scholarship here. I mean, weigh that in, please, by all means, weigh it in. And if you want to study it more, uh, uh, let us know, and, and we'll give you further sources that will confirm what I'm saying. But I don't want to rob anything that God's given you, and I want to support and amen you in your ministry and tell you to keep going for it. It's so vital and important. But just seriously think these things through in terms of the specifics of how you got there. Is is that fair enough? Yeah, I think it would be great if you could send me some further sources because, uh, you know, I... I launched this podcast, I Am a Woman, and I'm writing a book, I Am a Woman, and I'm speaking to, you know, thousands and thousands of young girls, and I'm drawing upon, in, in my mind, maybe this beautiful picture of the womb that is in our name. I'm drawing upon this idea that the first, you know, word, according to John, when Jesus rose, he said the word woman. And when I studied the word woman, I discovered that inside of her name was one who was created to announce created to breathe life. And so I want to explain yeah. to the girls, you are created to breathe life. And you're so, right. I don't have to quote the pictographic or the, the any that of the Hebrew yeah. to believe that and to know that because that's what, so, that's what the Lord showed me is right, you right. were created so, to bring life. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to jump in. I, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, I'm, I'm about to go off the air. So let me just get this, this last statement in. What I would do now is, is if I were you, I would look at every insight I believe that the Lord gave me and see if I can find support for it elsewhere in scripture, right? And, and by the way, when Jesus said woman, that first word, he was more likely speaking Aramaic than Hebrew. So now you have to go into the Aramaic and does the Aramaic say that, etc. But, you know, Psalm 68 doesn't talk about that the word goes forth and, and great is the, the company of women who proclaim it. I would look now through scripture and ask God for insight. Everything that you believe you learned through the pictographs or you're sure that God showed you. Now, see if you can find chapter and verse, other scripture for it. And now, now you've got it fully weaponized with the truth of the word. All right, so we'll continue our dialogue. Thank you very much for the call. Another program powered by the Truth Network.